0: Good morning friends. My name is Ron Basler and just a reminder again I am uh, providing some pastoral support for PPC during the sabbatical of Pastor Tobin and uh, you will be um, uh, hearing from me today. I will bring the message and in the weeks ahead you will be hearing from other members of our staff and some very powerful guest preachers as well. Uh, I'm sure that we will all be looking forward to that. I invite you now to begin this time together with me with a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Once upon a time, before the pandemic, my wife and I enjoyed going to the movies maybe someday we'll go again, have you ever gone to a movie and when it was over you left the theater angrily muttering "Ah, that movie had no ending, now of course the movie had an ending but it wasn't a very satisfying one today is Palm Sunday the beginning of what is traditionally called Holy Week Coming to the story of Palm Sunday and Holy Week is a lot like seeing that movie. It has a very unsatisfying ending. Holy Week starts high and ends low. Holy Week starts today and it ends Saturday night in a cemetery. That's the story of Holy Week. Now you and I would like to hurry through Holy Week and get right to Easter. But Easter is a new week Easter is the start of God's new story. We could say Easter is the first day of the new creation. Easter is the story of what God does for our world. And Holy Week is the story of what our world does to God. It's the story of what the world does, what you and I do, when we're confronted with the powerful love of God. And the story doesn't have a pretty ending. Now we all like pretty endings. and That's why Hollywood will always keep cranking out romantic comedies. But sometimes the hard stories can help us understand ourselves and our world. Sometimes the hard stories can teach us important things about our own lives. This morning we're going to be thinking about power. Power. How would you define power? According to the dictionary, power is the ability to get something done. The ability to reach an objective. Think about how power is expressed in our world. What kinds of power can you name besides solar power and wind power? Of course, there's military power, pocketbook power, prestige power, political power, relationship power, love power, This morning I want you to think about the world's power and God's power. How are they the same? How are they different? And most importantly of all, what kind of power are you betting on for your life? The first poem Sunday was an illustration of power. Now you remember the details. Matt read them earlier from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey the huge crowd greets them people throw their cloaks out on the street for him to ride on they wave palm branches and they shout Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord it's a nice Sunday school story do you realize how gutsy Jesus is being here how what a gutsy move Jesus is making Make no mistake, what Jesus is doing here is a clear challenge to the religious and political powers of the day. First of all, he prepares to enter the city on the back of a donkey. That's no accident. A thousand years earlier, during the golden age of Jerusalem, of Israel, on the day that Solomon, son of David, was crowned king, guess how Solomon entered the city? The Bible said he entered the city riding on a donkey. And so we won't forget that. Matthew reminds us, the gospel writer of Matthew reminds us that the prophets had announced that when the greatest son of David, the Messiah, finally comes he would enter the city on a donkey. The Oscars are coming up again, and in pre-COVID Hollywood, on the uh, night of the Oscars, all of the celebrities walk in on a red carpet. Well, on Palm Sunday, Jesus gets a version of this red carpet treatment. It says people throw their cloaks, their capes down on the roadway. Now, another interesting detail, when you read the Old Testament, 1,100 years earlier, when Jehu was crowned king of Israel... The people threw their coats on the highway to honor him. So without saying a word, Jesus is announcing to the citizens of Jerusalem, your king is coming, I have the power. It's a nice picture, we love to tell the story. We have the, you know, if it was pre-COVID, we would, or post-COVID, hopefully we'll have people with palm branches waving and we love to tell the story but we forget that there already was a power in Jerusalem. Rome had invaded Israel Roman soldiers had taken over the country and the ultimate power in Jerusalem was Rome and the ultimate power of Rome was Caesar? So here's the scene, just imagine it. Jesus mounts the donkey outside the city limits on a high hill near a village called Bethage. Now the parade route, if you've ever been there, it winds down a long slope to the valley and then winds its way back up to the city walls of Jerusalem. And everyone can see the parade, including the Roman soldiers from their fort on the high ramparts above the city. Now what were they thinking about this claim to power? Did they get it? Did they understand what was going on? Oh, you bet they did. For one thing, the palm branch was a symbol of Israel. So waving the palm branch is like waving the national flag. So here is a guy riding into an occupied city on a symbol of kingship, surrounded by an exciting throng of adoring people, that are waving the national symbol of their country and as the crowd gets closer the soldiers can hear what the crowd is saying they are shouting Hosanna to the son of David that is save us O son of David now if you're under Roman rule you're expected to say Hosanna Caesar Caesar's the one you see who claimed to give you what you needed security protection, life. So the soldiers see this mass of people. They are waving the national flag, adoring this donkey rider, and looking to him for hope and salvation. They can't help but see this as a challenge to Rome's superpower. Now the fact of the matter is, Jesus challenges everyone's addiction to worldly power. Even you and and I, we Christians, are challenged. You know, when it comes to power, we Christians, we can't help ourselves. When you and I think about our future security and our happiness, our first thoughts often go to the world's powers. My job security. We fret about the economy, about the stock market, the strength of our military, the effectiveness of our border control, as if these can guarantee our future. We're so hooked on the world's definitions of power, we can't even see it any other way. So most of the people lining the streets on that first Palm Sunday, they were not really much different. Like us, they thought of power mostly in the world's terms. They were afraid of the Roman Empire. They were fed up with the foreign soldiers in their streets and what they wanted was an empire of their own. The Jewish Empire. And they thought, hey, descendant of the great King David, lead a revolution, gather the troops, and let's get these foreigners out of here. Let's take our country back. The crowd wanted Jesus to use his power to give them worldly power over their lives. Why else do you think they were less than a week later shouting, crucify him. They were disappointed. Power, powerlessness. Hasn't this year forced us all to think about those themes? Quarantines, lockdowns, mask mandates, protests, insurrections, mass shootings, questions of power and powerlessness have rattled our lives. So today as we begin Holy Week it's appropriate to rethink this whole business of power now many of you many of us have been doing the Lenten study where your heart is and the week six lesson focuses on the question of power so I invite you now to take a look at those seven verses from the gospel of Mark chapter 9 we're going to look at those verses now They left that they, Jesus and his disciples, left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching the disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of others. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house he asked them what were you arguing about on the road but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down Jesus called the twelve and said anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all he took a little child whom he placed among them Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Interesting, powerful words. A couple things strike me. The twelve disciples had been traveling with Jesus for nearly three years yet when he speaks plainly to them about what's up ahead it says they don't understand and they're afraid to ask him for clarification <laughs> I personally think they didn't like what he said and they didn't want to understand I think we have a lot in common with those disciples instead of taking to heart what Jesus says we close our ears we kind of go blah 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 huh? that kind of thing close our ears and talk about the pecking order. We fuss about who gets to call the shots. We argue about who has the power. Who is the greatest? Ah, yeah. Well, Jesus clearly said that his mission involved death. Following him involves death for us too. Not necessarily a physical death, though the world has seen plenty of Christian martyrs. To follow Jesus, first of all, is to die to self. That is to say, when you follow Jesus, he will teach you, first of all, that you are no longer the center of everything. Life is not about you. To follow Jesus is to die to self. Secondly, to to follow Jesus is to die to the world that is to say Jesus will teach you that the world is no longer the source of your security and identity power and success as the world measures them no longer apply to us here's the world system those who have the power get to make the rules and get to write the history they get to sit at the head tables But the problem is there are only so many head tables in this world and the game of musical chairs just keeps going on and on and on. You know, the the original disciples and the crowd on Palm Sunday and sadly most of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, when it gets right down to it, we think the system is, is okay. It's just that the wrong people are in the places of power. We figure once we get into power, alongside Jesus, of course, everything will be fixed from the top down. Sort of the ultimate trickle-down theory. But Jesus challenges this whole world system. Jesus throws over this head table view of the world. Jesus gives his followers power, all right, but not power to overpower others. Not power to enforce or force. Not power to press or repress. Jesus gives his followers power to serve. Jesus gives us serving power. This is Jesus' example. This is Jesus' life. And this is Jesus' challenge to us. The world does not get changed from the top down, but from the bottom up. So the ultimate trickle-up effect. Friends, we followers of Jesus, we can't simply go along with business as usual. We can't simply assume that life gets easier or better or groovier, as they used to say when I was a kid, once we are Christians. Discipleship will often mean trouble—not more trouble, not less. By the world's standards, discipleship is not a great investment. I served 11 years as a missionary pastor in Brazil. And I still remember something that happened, I think it must have been the first week we were there. It was a beautiful Brazilian evening, warm, tropical warm. We went out for pizza. And we sat around a table on the patio of this restaurant, savoring the beautiful evening And when our pizza arrived, I picked up a big, big old chunk of pizza. Huge piece, thick with cheese. And I readied my eager mouth. Ah, And then I happened to look around. And I saw a row of children peering over the low wall all around the patio. Hungry eyes. Hungry faces. Hungry little bodies. And there I am. I looked around at all the other customers. They were all eating and chatting without a glance at this raggedy troop. And I looked at the size of the pizza. I looked at my family. I looked at the number of children outside the wall. And I admit, I confess. I lowered my eyes and ate my pizza. In Jesus' day, Children were the most vulnerable creatures in society. They had no rights. Fathers could put newborns out to starve. If a father decided this child is too weak, or if the father decided he wanted a boy and a girl was born, he could simply order that baby to be put out and die. Children were the most vulnerable, the very bottom of the society. Jesus looks at his disciples, the ones who'd been arguing about who among them was the greatest, and he picks picks up one of these street kids, and he hugs that child, and then he looks into the eyes of his disciples, and he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. What does it mean, friends? What does it mean for us? To receive one of the world's vulnerable victims does it mean risking fleas and head lice does it mean opening up your home or your pocketbook does it mean standing alongside those who are protesting injustice does it mean living with more confusion than you'd like can I do that can you do that Ah, We live in a troubled world, I don't have to tell you that. On top of this week's news full of mass shootings and pandemic resurgence, we have an entire globe full of vulnerable people. Around this world, this world that God has created and continues to love, there are over 79 million people who've been forced out of their homes. Because of natural disasters, or war, or famine, or poverty, or oppression. And 26 million of those, 26 million people have fled their home countries. They are what we call refugees. 26 million. And half of those refugees, 13 million of them, are under the age of 18. And many countries, many governments around the world, including our own, struggle with what to do, try to figure out what to do and there are no easy answers and believe me I have no easy answers but I know one thing, my job as a Christian pastor a Christian preacher is to invite you to listen to Jesus and Jesus says this, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me You see when we receive one of the world's victims one of the world's vulnerable people we're doing more than an act of charity. We're doing more than a good work which pleases God. We're doing more than social justice. Receiving one of the world's victims is related to our receiving Jesus receiving one of the world's victims is related to our salvation now the disciples had trouble with this today's Christians you and I we have trouble with that too who wants to be part of a movement that identifies itself with victims with losers what we want is success profit and security this man who kneels down and hugs a runny-nosed street kid, how can we call him Lord? We want a Lord who's well-dressed, well-behaved, someone who moves comfortably in our circles. Why, this man with, a, with an urchin from the street in his arm's mercy hes probably already got head lice. <laughs> no, we're certainly not pleased with this. But Christ doesn't come to please us. Christ comes to save us. Christ comes to save us from our pride and our self-centeredness. Save us from our fears and our insecurities. Do you want to open up your life to this Savior? Today our Savior says, receive one of the world's victims. Look into the eyes of the sufferers. Feel their pain. Listen to their story. See the hope they cling to. Leave behind your dreams of greatness or success. Leave behind your preoccupations with yourself. Here is the promise that Jesus gave and is giving to you today. Make room in your life for the other. And Jesus too will enter in. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God you challenge us in so many ways we know we know how we often cringe how we often hang on to our claims of power our desire for power remind us again O oh Lord that you give us power power to serve power to care power to love May your power continue to move us, to shape us into the people you wish us to be. Thank you, God, for your willingness to go all the way to make that love and that power real in our lives. Amen. Amen.